right, everybody. So today, back on the podcast, we have Jeff Alberts. How are we doing, Jeff? I'm I'm up, Dave. You got me up here at six in the morning. Six so. in the morning. <laughs> I, I even shaved and, and yeah, I was gonna cleaned say, up my yeah. head. Man, it's nice it's and shiny. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you usually? I guess you usually have a beard. You, I was gonna say something looked different, and maybe I'm just used to the goatee. I have a goatee. It's just it's trimmed really clean. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know me. I gotta have form just right on point. Right. <laughs> so uh, so you're in prep, right? I am in prep. Yep. And how many seasons would this make for you? Can I take a second to count that? Go ahead. <laughs> 93, 94, 95, 98, 99, 2000, 2002, 2004, 2006, 2009, 11, 14, 19, 20, 14th. Wow. 14 seasons and probably 14th since 93. Yeah. And any idea how many competitions? Because you do several competitions per season, right? Uh, Typically. Yeah. I think with guest posings included, it's probably in the neighborhood of mid thirties to wow. closer to 40, maybe. Um, it seems high, but you know, uh, our good friend Craig Toth, um, I think he's like well over a hundred. So really? Yeah. Yeah. How old is so he? He's, he's roughly my age. Yeah. Jeez. That's crazy. So yeah, there's, there's some old guys like, like that out there that are pretty experienced. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say that the biggest thing at this point, like the biggest changes are how you go about prep? Cause I know that's something you've talked a lot about before is finding a way to appreciate the process, uh, finding a way to like, you know, you, you talked about retaining more muscle along the way rather than necessarily gaining a ton of the off season. It seems like the process is the biggest change over maybe the last few seasons. For sure. I think the biggest challenge for me right now is the fact that I have done so much and I have been pretty successful that you kind of just lose a little bit of that, that edge, you know, that fire, that passion, like when you're younger, you know, you, you know, this, you've been doing this for a long time. You're just like really eager to get after it and make that progress. And sometimes to a fault, cause you just get really insecure about it and anxious. Yeah. I could just say that I miss having that fire. Like if I can trade in some of these gains that I've mm. attained and just kind of go back in time and start over again, man, yeah. I would just like appreciate that like the process itself that much more. So that's been my biggest challenge is more the mental side of things this time around. Um, And that, and I'm just really loving family life. Yeah. So it's hard to sacrifice some of that for, you know, if you think about it, it's kind of a crazy sport where you get up in these little underwear and you get on stage. It's kind of a weird sport from that perspective. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. So it's just a a little bit of a tug of war for me right now. Um, But I committed to a guest posing. So now it's like, okay, game on. I have yeah. to have to sacrifice. Otherwise I don't want to get on stage looking fluffy and disappointing people. So I don't want to do that. Right. Right. And you mentioned family life. How old are your kids? Um, my son is nine. Um, my stepdaughter is 17 going on 18, but she's, she's mainly living with her father now. So it's just okay. mainly my son here. Yeah. Yeah. But now, I mean, I imagine that's an age that, you know, taking them to sports, you got a lot of like, you know, really important development yeah. going on there. So, you yeah. So it's a, yeah, it's another thing that's changed is that uh, he's nine now. So it just requires more energy, like you yeah. mentioned. And the last prep, he was seven, six or seven, which it was a little bit different from the previous prep where he was two. Right. So when right. you're two, you know, it's like mom, 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 yeah. you're six, seven, eight, nine, dad, dad, dad. So it yeah. just requires a lot more energy and attention there. So, so it's just, it's, it's hard for me to kind of figure out 
how to manage my energy, my yeah. attention, where it needs to you know, be prioritized. And that's been the biggest challenge this time around. Yeah, it's funny. My, I don't have kids currently, but my dad was always saying, he's like, you got to have kids young because you're going to have the energy for it. <laughs> he talks about, right. you know, when you get old, you just don't have the energy. So um, yeah, I'm sure you have to manage that. Yeah, it's a little bit challenging, but I mean, it's rewarding. Like yeah. that's probably the uh, the most difficult coaching job I have is, is coaching my son, my son versus <laughs> right. my athletes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So this is a, a guest posing then for what you're competing for now. So where we're starting out with, yeah, right. we're starting out with that. I think it's going to be a good momentum builder for me because again, I, I just needed that commitment. So mm -hmm. I got asked to do it and I was kind of like, uh, I don't know. And then I finally just said, let's just do it. So I have 10 weeks. So that means, okay, I just got to dial it all in. And then I yeah. think after that, I mean, I'll be like, probably the fire will be there because you'll be more in shape. You know, yeah. every time you see progress, you're like, okay, let's yeah, get after yeah, it more. Yeah, yeah, totally. So I think, yeah, I'll be okay um, for probably September through November. So I'll probably hit one or two shows leading up to Worlds. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that that fire, I mean, that that's such a big thing. And it's what I've struggled with the last five years or so because I don't compete. So it's kind of just for me, it's just, have I gained muscle or not? Do I look better than I did? There's, you know, like posing, like for, if you're a competitor, you can always work on posing. And, and like I said, the process. And for me, it's like, man, if I'm just not gaining muscle, it's hard to be motivated. And I remember the days of being 14, 15, 16, and I'm on the teen nation forums. And, and even though the information might not have been great, mm -hmm. I don't think anything in my life have has replicated that feeling of just that initial learning phase and oh my god this routine and you just it's just like a special period that I would hope people who are new listening to this can take the time to really appreciate that phase because it, it only happens once exactly like I mean as a coach I, I deal with this a lot with you know the younger bodybuilders like they're just so eager to mm -hmm. get to like the end process in a sense yeah. like you you get that physique but it's cool to look this way. It's, you know, don't get me wrong, but again, when you're kind of on this side of it, it just, you, like you said, you just kind of lose that little bit of fire there. And I remember going through the flex magazines, you know, of course, not the greatest information, but right. man, just, just, just diving in there and seeing like photos of Lee Haney or something like, damn, yeah. I, I want to get after it and do that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool time period. The, uh, I, I wonder how many people, either go to competition or coaching for that reason. So I, I don't know if you're aware, I actually got six months of coaching with Steve Hall and it wasn't because I was like, you know, this is going to completely change my physique or anything like that. It was just, you know, I've been doing literally the same routine for two years and it's very different. Like I would say my training is closer. Probably it's like your style, like maybe three, four days a week, like low to moderate volume. Like that's just kind of what I've gravitated towards. Uh, and, you know, with Revive Stronger and Steve Hall, it's generally higher volume, higher frequency, more reps in the tank, things like that. And uh, I would say the biggest thing for me was that it was just fun. Like there really was this like, you know, the first month we're talking about it, we're getting the routine ready, like I'm excited for it again. Um, and, and like that to me, not that I would necessarily say to coach just for that reason, but I, I think it can be helpful just as a motivation tool itself. For sure. I love Steve. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I love Steve and... Uh... I do that with some of my athletes. It's like, I know in the back of my mind, like, okay, if I change a bunch of variables, it's probably going to skew things a little bit harder to interpret what's going on. Mm. But at the same time, like when you, when you say, okay, here's the new program, like right. 
the energy, they just light up, you know, you can tell like, okay, there's another, another level of fire that they're ready to kind of get after it again. So I think sometimes change is important. Um, Again, I've been doing this for so long. So, you know, I've tried almost everything at this point. So it's almost like, okay, you know, what keeps me going? And I've had to come to terms probably the last, I would say year, like I'm realizing like, okay, my gains are pretty much tapped out. Yeah. But I also appreciate the fact that it takes a lot of energy to maintain Mm -hmm. the muscle mass that I do have. You know, you still have to put the effort in. I mean, if I go into the gym and just, you know, fluff it every single session, eventually my body is going to be like, okay, I don't need this much size anymore. So let's let go of it because it requires a lot of energy to maintain that size. So what's that looking Uh, like now? Are there changes that you've made, let's say to the last season or two, or is it just kind of, Hey, I know it works. I'm just sticking with that. So I would say probably before I started dieting for this, or I don't want to say dieting more of a lifestyle change. So Mm -hmm. up until July, August of last year, I was, you know, assertively trying to see if I can gain any more muscle. Cause I I knew it was like my last little off season to see if that's going to actually happen or not. So yeah, I was just basically just lifting, trying to, you know, increase loads and, you know, try to increase volume here and there where I could. But what I realized is that my body is like, yeah, you can do this, but it's the aftermath. You know, Mm. when you got this much training mileage on your body and you got, you know, you're 50, I'm now approaching 51 in like 10 days. Okay. So it's like recovery just isn't where it used to be. So, you know, I kind of just, you know, waking up, you know, in, pain quite often, you know, it's like, is this really worth it? You know, is this worth putting myself through all this effort to maybe see after percent, 1% progress? Well, what were you doing specifically? Specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Just trying to more so trying to get strength, like just trying to increase the loading, you know, not, not like one rep maxes, but like the working weight as far as for reps, trying to just elevate that. Cause I can look at history and see where my physique, because, you know, you, you kind of see your physique kind of do the waving, right? Like sometimes it looks really good. Other times you're like, you're off. Mm -hmm. And usually when I'm up on a high, my training performance is representative of that. Yeah, Like that's where I'm at my strongest. And, you know, I'm not the science guy of, of the community, but I can look across the board at some of the elite level natural bodybuilders and I don't, don't really say, okay, what's it, what's the common thing amongst many of these guys and gals? Mm-hmm. They're strong. Yeah. They work with heavy loads for reps. So that's, you know, of course, that's what I was trying to do. But again, my body's just like, Hey Jeff, you're not, you're not 20 anymore. Yeah. You know, you're, you're 50. So yeah. So you actually re- actively not really trying to increase the weight at this point, then you're more like saying like, okay, here's the weight I'm going to use and just focus on the quality of the set. Yes. And no, I mean, if there's days where I can, I feel good and I can increase the the weight, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. If there's other days where I'm like, yeah, probably don't feel all that great. I'm going to back it off. Yeah. And to be honest with you, like back in 2013, 2014, um, that's probably where I backed off the most, you know, over my career, as far as leading more reps in reserve, Mm. that type of thing. So on average, you know, during that 2014 prep, I was probably in the neighborhood of like one to four, one to five reps you know? or oh, reps in reserve. Yeah. And in, in the past, it would always be more like one, yeah, zero, yeah. zero maybe right. two, but just far more intense. 
I didn't see any sight. Actually, I, I was probably at my biggest and mm. it's not because of the training. It's just, it's multifactorial because it's, it's partly that it's partly managing fatigue a lot better through the dieting process. Um, you know, and, and making sure that the rate of loss was really conservative. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts to all this. And I think sometimes like we kind of just get caught up into looking at maybe one or two variables and then thinking like, that's the reason why, uh, you know, what we're seeing and especially online, I could, that's kind of one of my pet peeves when I see someone, this is what I look like. And this is what I look like. And if they show one thing they did, Yeah, yeah. uh, yeah, there's probably a lot of moving parts there. You know, because we're, we're human. Yeah. It's very hard to, I think for some of us almost to accept that. Cause like for, for a long time, I mean, I know you had, um, like a Mike Mentzer kind of background, right? Like at one point you're like, Mm -hmm. and the same with me and DC training and all that. And so it's something like I've talked about in a few groups is it's almost hard to accept this idea that a two to four RAR is just as good. Yeah. But I mean, we do. I struggle with that. Yeah. It's just like, I still struggle with it because I want to train hard. Yeah. 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 And and it just sounds counterintuitive, but I think we have enough examples of people doing that now. I I mean, Steve Hall being a great example from his last competition to the current competition. I mean, he totally transformed and he, I mean, not that he doesn't go to failure, but you know, he'll do kind of like the Mike Isotel ramping, like four RER and then three RER, et cetera. So a lot of his time is not going to failure and he made tremendous gains. So that is something I still on a conceptual. But what's key is it's not like he's like training at a four reps in reserve and he's not trying to progress in that realm. Exactly. Whether the reps or the loads are you know moving up over right. time. Exactly. So I think that's something that's kind of getting lost too, is like people just kind of look at that reps in a reserve and that's all that, that's the only thing they're looking at, but it's no, it's like actually watch the person train. Like if you watch Steve training, I mean, it's pretty intense. It's not yeah. like he's training you like, like really soft and he has probably a really good gauge on his reps in a reserve, where if you look at someone else, you kind of look at it and they're like, yeah, this is four in the tank. You're like, no, dude, this is like eight in the tank. Right. Right. So there's a huge, huge discrepancy with all that. Like what the, the quality of actually what you're doing in the gym, I think is going to matter a lot more than what's on paper. Yeah. That was one of the big takeaways I got from training with him is that, you know, an individual set, for example, was easier because I was used to always going like zero or one RIR, but with the higher volume with five days per week, instead of three to four, the actual training period all things considered might have even been harder, you know, and it, it was like, okay, if I'm doing multiple sets of a three RER, that's still pretty damn hard, you know, if it's a true three RER. So, right, right. And then you kind of want, okay, if you're doing two hard ass sets or three or four with three in the tank, which one's more yeah. optimal? It's, I mean, you're splitting hairs there. It's probably, and I don't have many more hairs left. So <laughs> it's like, it's not even worth stressing over it. So I kind of look at it like, okay, if I go into a training session, and I have good energy, but I don't have a lot of time or something like that. Like, okay, I'm going to do a couple sets. That's pretty close to failure just to ensure that I am getting that stimulus. Yep. Or if I don't feel like training really hard, I'm going to leave more in the tank and just maybe add another set or two in there yeah. just to make sure I'm, I'm touching everything up. So I think we just, uh, this is the brains and games podcast, huh? I'm not the, I'm not the, the brains guy, but I mean, <laughs> just. It's, it's kind of common sense. And I think a lot of us tend to overthink it 
and overanalyze it. And we want to think of it as either it's black or white when it's really like, there's so many shades of gray that we, we can be working in. Yeah. It's just getting people to relax. That's the main thing as a coach, I would say, I'm trying to get people to relax in the process. Yeah, that is definitely, I mean, I have a few clients right now who are actually just doing very well, just every week, they just kind of message me up. Yep, this is, this is going well. And they've kind of calmed down, but I do consistently have people where I'll go through a whole thing and they'll be like, well, I really, I just need to cut. I need to get lean. I'm like, well, look, like, you know, I'll help you with whatever your goal is, but maybe consider this and this, and I would take the time to do this and this, and then they'll say, okay, but like, I just know I can't be happy unless I do this. And so they're going to do whatever they want to do anyway. And they're stressed out about it. And the thing is like, I can, I can understand it because I was there at one point. It's just, it's hard to almost feel like you're helpless to help them when you know, like they're just so stressed about it. So ingrained and they, they wouldn't be able to just step back, you know, we're, we're all like, I mean, I was there too. We're all like that. And I think our experiences, you know, help us to really cement like what exactly we should be doing. And it's more of the, I think of what's more important than just like these little minutia things that seem to come up a lot. Like, Oh, if we do this, we're going to optimize this by 1%. It's like, mm-hmm. The basics and the big picture stuff, I think, is where people need to look first and foremost. You know, people get lost in the detail, but it's actually the, the big rocks that's going to take you to where you really want to go. Yeah. Um, but it's like my son, man. It's, a, you know, if he's, if I tell him, okay, don't be doing that, or hey, we need to do it this way and try to show him, that's, that's the latest thing. I was like, okay, we, we, you need to have humility. He's like, what's that? So I have to kind of explain to him what that means. Mm-hmm. You know, be open-minded, be willing for me to teach you and don't get like, you know, defensive. So, you know, but sometimes it's like, well, I'm just going to have to go hands off on this one and just let him experience it. And whether he's successful or not, it's going to cement in his brain. Like, okay, either. Yeah, this is the right way to do it. Or no, this is not the right way to do it. Yeah. So I think sometimes like you can tell you can like some athletes, you can tell them till you're like blue in the face, but Mm -hmm. sometimes they just, you know, they just, no, I want to cut, I want to cut, but you know, it's not the right thing for them to do. It's like, okay, let's, okay, let's, let's go through the process. Right. Right. And they come out of it on the other side and it's like, oh, okay, you're right. I don't have that much muscle. So let's go back the other way. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Has your son already, obviously a huge part of your identity is bodybuilder. Has he taking an interest in that or like, you know, doing pushups at 6am. No, right like now that. he's doing karate. Yeah. Okay. He's doing karate right now. So he's really, really into that. Um, but I mean, a lot of, a lot of things in karate is kind of really the same as bodybuilding. Yeah. And there's levels to it. So he's yeah. kind of moving up. He just tested for another belt. So cool. we don't know if he passed or not yet. So I, think I saw that. I saw, or I saw a yeah. video you showing like his front kick, I think it was. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. I think yeah. he'll pass, but yeah, he's just, uh, and he didn't really, practice too much for that and we were kind of telling him, you got practice you got mm-hmm. practice and you know of course i'm not going to force it so yeah. i'm like well if he goes in there and tests and he fails that's it's a it's a learning, learning lesson right? right yeah so i'm not going to be like the dad that's going to be like trying to be overprotective and try to do things for him you're just not going to learn that way yeah i want to talk about two experiments you and i briefly talked about it um in dms and one was uh, Eric Helms experiment going to lower volume, high intensity. And then I know you also had a kind of phase of going to higher volume. So um, people who listened to the Eric Helms podcast recently heard him say that he essentially lost muscle, especially in the upper body when he went to train with you. And he did a, I, I believe it was just a fairly low volume, high intensity, even beyond failure training. Um, and then I think you said 
that it was maybe because of the lower carbs, maybe just elucidate some of that, that period. He loves to blame me for this. Yeah. And I want to blame Mike Mincer for it. So I always pass the torch to Mincer. Right. Um, so, I mean, this is like 10 years ago, this is 2011. And, uh, I can't recall how close to his prep that the, this training period was, but I like to think like it's multifactorial because it's, yes, he went from, you know, higher volumes and his upper body went lower, went to high intensity. But at the same time, I don't think it was much longer after that where he actually started the prep and all that. And through the prep, I think that's where he kind of identified for sure. Like I actually Mm. drunk. So I kind of, you know, I don't want to put all the blame on the prep and how the dieting was, because it's definitely not superior than his last prep as far as the approach and, and how they went about the dieting. So I think it's a combination of the fact that, yeah, maybe the training like just didn't produce the same type of result for him. And he actually might've regressed from it, but at the same time, it could have been also too, that because of the dieting process, you know, maybe he just lost a little bit of fullness there as well. So I think it was just a combination of things. He might dispute that and that's okay. Yeah. You know, because, cause we've had, you know, some, some debates back and forth over the years, but yeah. uh, I didn't realize it was during a dieting phase, but certainly, cause I mean, it was just, prior to the dieting phase. I can't remember it, if it was okay. maybe a month, two months prior, but I think, so it's super important. Like when you come off of like your off season, you want your training to be like a high before sure. you start that deficit. So I think, you know, looking in hindsight, just that setup probably wasn't ideal. So, yeah. so again, it's like multifactorial. And, and you kind of had the opposite right now. I don't know if you had a specific high volume phase, but I know you were like mm-hmm. super, like, again, the Mike Mentor stuff. You, I think you've kind of settled down into like what I would call moderate, low to moderate volume. Um, but you had a period, I think when meeting the three DMJ guys that you tried higher volume, maybe it was actually after it was actually like when Israel started to become a little oh, bit really? more popular and okay. yeah, the, you know, waving the volume, kind of like yeah. the experience with Steve Hall. Yeah. So I, I did my own trial of that and okay. yeah, it just was no good. Yeah. It was it basically, that, yeah. it was just the fact that like the volume just got too elevated as those weeks went on and I noticed my recovery just got worse. And then, you know, two, three months into it, you know, I'm starting to get more beat up my mm-hmm. aches, aches and pains, joint aches. Um, plus, you know, when you're, you're, you're stressed like that, you don't enjoy your training. So I wasn't willing to continue to push myself to see if in fact, maybe high volume is going to be like all of a sudden it brings me these, these better gains. And to be honest with you, I probably, you know, looking in hindsight, I probably could have had a better setup, maybe maybe better approach with that. I don't know, you know, because maybe there's a handful of other coaches that might've said, Hey, Jeff, you know, maybe you might want to do it this way, this way, this way, that way. So, you know, of course you look in hindsight, you you can get a little more clarity, but in my opinion, it's just no way to really identify exactly, you know, what you, what you could have gotten. Right. Yeah, it is tough. I mean, I, I just find the individuality there very interesting, right? I mean, and just not like, not just how you physically respond, but like you said, just psychologically, it wasn't there. And it is hard to be totally invested in something that you're just not enjoying. Right. I mean, that's why mm-hmm. I feel for just like general population, you like my sister's like, oh, how does anybody like working? Out? I just hate it. And I'm like, whatever you have to find something, some aspect of it that you like, which is why I think the whole progressive overload and desi- desire to increase over time is really beneficial for most people because myself included, if I just went into the exact same thing every day, I'd be bored out of my mind. This is right. why as dedicated as I am to the gym, 
I have a hard time sticking with any sort of like stretching slash like yoga routine or anything like that. Because to me, I'm just like, I don't care about this goal that much. It's kind of boring. There's no like, I mean, you could set it up in a way, oh, this time I was slightly more flexible, but just mentally, I don't care as much versus a gym, five pounds, five pounds, five pounds, et cetera. So to me, I try to get people who are new into it, just focusing on that progression. But if you genuinely don't enjoy it, like, can we name anybody who's been doing this 10 plus years? Who's just like, I just hate it. And I've hated it for 10 years. I mean, <laughs> that's yeah, that's not me. I mean, cause I've had periods where it's like, I hate contest prep and I would kind of fizzle out mm-hmm. cause it's like either I'm all in or I'm all out. Yeah. It's like, that's how I was back in the day. But I think yeah, as a coach, I mean, I try to, of course you try to mesh like research and all that and make sure things are trying, you're trying to optimize. Yeah. But at the same time, I like act like, I'll ask people just straight up, you know, do you enjoy eating protein? If they're like, no, not really. Then, okay. If I'm going to force a certain amount of protein down their throat, you really could think they're going to adhere to it maybe temporarily. Cause they're like, Oh, okay. Maybe I can get some gains if I force myself to do this. But over time, it's just going to be like, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. So I don't want to be that coach who is just trying to like, okay, I'm trying to get this guy to, you know, this, awesome transformation in 12 weeks or something like that. It's like, right, right. No, I want this person to make progress and enjoy the journey over time. So a lot of times it comes down to just the practicality and the sustainability with individuals. And I think sometimes like when we listen to a lot of podcasts and I'm not saying your podcast is terrible at all, Dave, because I actually <laughs> do listen to it. Um, but it's just like people, it's almost like uh, at times it's not a reality. Yeah. because of the individual differences and everybody's right. life is different. So as a coach, you know, I've worked with over a thousand people. And when you dive into each person's context in their real world, you're just like, okay, I need to set something up that they can actually adhere to mm-hmm. and focus on what they can do and not on what they can't. Right. So I think that's, to me, that's like the, again, big picture stuff. It's not this little detail where like, okay, I need to, you know, make sure that this guy's eating an apple in the morning or something right, like that. Right. Or I need to make sure like his elbows are like doing this on exercise. It's like, you know, these, these big picture things is really what's probably the most important, but often get lost. Um, online. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I don't, like, I currently don't have any, I don't sell like workout programs and I don't think that they're necessarily bad. I, I mean, when I was mm-hmm. early in my training, I followed workout programs that got great results. Um, but to me, it, it's, I like the, you know, finding what works for a specific person. Cause usually if they're coming to me, it's, it's sometimes complete beginners, but usually it's somebody who's an intermediate who's frustrated with their lack of progress. So if I just say, Hey, here's this routine, it's like, it, it might be okay, but I want to know your history. I want to know what has and has not worked for you. And as you pointed out, almost most importantly, what do you like and what are you going to stick to? Cause I feel like that's 90% of coaching. I mean, if somebody has been doing this even a few years, you can probably put together a sound routine, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be able to coach people. And that comes, I think, more from experience. Yeah, I think the like the like a template program, it's beneficial for people who just really aren't too structured. So it's actually something, okay, I have something I can actually follow. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if you're trying to conform to it, and everything outside the gym is getting out of whack because of it, then that's a problem, right? Like, okay, I'm in the gym for three hours, because Uh, week number four, this 
this mess of cycle, I got to do five sets. And mm-hmm. now you got, you go home and your wife's pissed off at you because you've been at the gym for three <laughs> hours. Well, now you got a headache at home, right? Yeah. <laughs> so if your stress levels get amplified, what do you think is going to happen with your future trading? You know? Yeah. So I think, again, it's come down to what, what a person can actually adhere to and, and, and get the most out of that. You know, if, even if on paper, it's not, let's say quote unquote optimal. Yeah. And how do you identify optimal anyway? That's another conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hindsight's always twenty twenty. Do you, so you, you mentioned you listen to some podcasts and um, I'd actually, I think people might be surprised at how little fitness content I would consume. Like I don't really watch many other podcasts at this point. I used to, um, but you better I, watch ours, Dave. That's all I, I do. I do okay. still watch all you right. guys. I, still, you, I watch you. you watch <laughs> <laughs> I, I tune in to revive stronger occasionally. Although again, being that I don't compete personally, mm-hmm. if it's like, you know, contest prep week or, or like, you know, peak week. I, I you know, I, I don't really watch that as much, but um, I then I'm subscribed to mass because I do like to see the new research that comes out. Uh, but I do think people can get super into the weeds and if, if they can acknowledge, Hey, I'm just like, I'm enjoying learning about it. That's fine. But I do think a lot of the times it's like, Oh, this is what's ideal. And I just heard this on this podcast. And then somebody else has something different. And, and I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you get an idea in your head, you can, easily go down a rabbit hole and find anything that you want to confirm, whether that's like a certain diet. Like if you start to get an interest in keto and you watch 10 podcasts on keto, all of a sudden now you're a keto expert and you know, that's going to solve all of your problems. And you could apply that to almost anything. Yeah. I mean, like I've been doing this for almost 36 years Yeah, it's crazy. and I still like at times I'll listen to something like, Oh, <laughs> like, yeah, like, me too. Like, uh, like, uh, like Jeff, like how many times did he train his arms? I forget. Like I was listening to your podcast and he's like, Training uh jeff jeffrey oh up? oh verity schofield yeah yeah a lot <laughs> like so i was like oh, what if i did that yeah <laughs> well sometimes yeah. you get you get caught up in that even even as experienced i am but mm-hmm. at the same time i i realized like okay now big breath in take a big yeah. step back and like okay you know that's it, it may or may not work for me but you know i'm not right. willing to invest you know that much arm training in right, I, right i like my elbow joints but um, counterpoint maybe is that I do think that I actually like when those periods happen because it gets me that excitement again, right? So, excitement and, and if you do run your own trial and error, then you get to learn more about yourself by doing that. So there's, there's, there's pros and cons to it. Yeah. Um, but it's like you said, it's hard to discern like good information and, and just, just information. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You can definitely go in the wrong way with it, but I would say like, to be honest, like the conclusion so I had like a long video out on my six months with Steve Hall and he and I talked about it a number of times. He came on to discuss the before and after. And ultimately the conclusion was we couldn't really see any difference. We compared mm-hmm. it to the same weight. So I was like 195. I cut down to like 182. And then when I bulked up with him, it was like, okay, is it going to be a better 195 than before? Right. And ultimately based on pictures, measurements, strength, everything, it wasn't any better. But I don't look at that as I regret that period because I was just, I was happy to have six months where I was excited about training. And yeah. I know that might sound like a cop out, like, oh, it was wasted money. But to me, not only did not I really from about it, but it was fun. And that's at this point, I mean, 36 years is crazy. Literally twice, I'm at 18 years. So yeah. um, I, I like to find those periods, you know. It, it's not a waste if you think, I mean, see, that's the thing is people always want the gains. Like they think that's like, the, all the success is, is like getting more muscle, but there's other factors that's success could be like, okay, I just learned new methods, new yep. approaches. 
And now I can utilize that. Maybe there's maybe five years from now, you're like, I'm bored again. Right. Let me go back and do what I did with Steve. Right. Yeah. Because you know, you're going to get the same result. You're still going to get, you know, you're going to be on the plus side, not the negative side. Right. Or the neutral side. Yeah. And you, you're a coach yourself. So now it's like, okay, now I have all these other tools that I can use for someone else. Yep. So, I mean, in my opinion, there's pros and cons to all these podcasts and, you know, all these blogs and just all the social media that's out there. But if you like, I can go back to like when I first started training, like look at the information I had back then compared to now. And like, I work with athletes, you know, across the world and the stuff that I've shared with them, they've passed it along. Like I have an athlete in Israel where when she was, when I first started coaching her, like the, inf the information she was exposed to, it's just, just crazy, just out there outlandish and sometimes dangerous stuff that really? she was exposed to from other coaches there. So she's been able to kind of use our community because it's not just 3D and J, but it's just, you know, the evidence-based community across the board yeah. and start applying that approach to a lot of her athletes. It's a trickle-down mm -hmm. effect. So now you're seeing higher quality coming out of Israel. So to me, it's like a, that's the plus side of, you know, having all this uh, information available, but it is hard to decipher like some of that stuff that maybe you shouldn't be paying attention to. And I even brought this up with our team in a meeting. I'm like, we might need to think about creating some type of system, labeling system for our podcast, like who this, this podcast might be catered for. Because, mm. you know, if you have a podcast where, you know, you're, you're talking about like um, with casts, right? That's like good information. But if well, I'm a newbie, yeah. yeah, if I'm a newbie coming on to this podcast, and this is what I'm getting exposed to. Like, right. I think these things are just like the Holy grail as steering them kind of in a wrong direction. Yeah. If you even uh, understand it, I mean, cause some of that stuff, right. like, I think if you're totally new to it, you'd be like, what, what am I even listening to? What am I listening to? But then if you dive into the weeds, like you said earlier, you start to grasp it, but then you don't have the big rocks in place first. And you're trying to do all these, this minutia stuff. Like it's almost backwards. Yeah. So I think it's just not to say like, again, it's not to say it's bad information. It's not productive information. It's just the fact that it's not like you go to a movie, you know, you're going to PG, you're going to PG 13, right, rated right, R, right. whatever. Yeah. So I know not to take my son to this rated R movie. Right. Yeah. The same thing here. I think, I think as a whole, like we probably need to do a better job of actually like pointing people in the right direction. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good point. And that's why I do often say somewhere, not necessarily at the start, but somewhere in my podcast, I often go back to like, okay, we're talking about this, but understand it's a small portion or look like consistency, genetics, progressive overload, like that's going to be a big part of it. And it's not because I don't want to, it's not that I want to come across as like the negative guy saying these things don't matter, but I do want the people listening to understand like this is after you've gotten those things handled, right? And, yeah, and don't yeah. think it's going to be, you know, like the difference between you know, your physique and like Brad Loomis, for instance, like there's so many factors that go into that. It's not because you do three days a week and he does five or whatever, like the smaller factors are, you know? Right. And that's what I appreciate you is that you're honest and, you know, you just, you're straight shooter. It's like, like we've been doing this long enough to know like this one little thing that we're going to yeah, right. all of a sudden <laughs> give you magical. Now I got an inch on my arms. Right. You know, we know it's, we both know it's the big rocks and within those big rocks. Yeah. There might be some details here and there that can, can move you forward maybe a little bit better, but again, it's like really hard to identify 
because if you think about it, you got to have all the variables in place for a period of time. And then you, again, you have to do something differently for a period of time and then try to assess that and come to a conclusion. Yeah. But again, we're, we're humans in a perfect world or not in a perfect world rather. So how do you like, maybe your sleep is off at times. Maybe you're not as hydrated at times. Maybe you're stressed out more at times because you got X, Y, and Z going on at, at home. So these all, all these factors, it's like, how do you can really just with hundred percent confidence say, Hey, this thing is like the thing that's changing this. Yep. For sure. So we had a little bit on Instagram there about the, I posted that video, uh, Derek more plates, more dates. And there was a guy whose whole TikTok was devoted to cats. I don't know these people because yeah. I don't, I don't watch social media, but anyways. So yeah. Ahead. Well, I don't, I don't watch, I don't have a TikTok. I refuse to download TikTok. Um, but I do know Derek from more plays, more dates, but the point was there was this guy with really skinny calves and he made this point and he was like, you know, do you, do people think that they don't know they have a weak body part? Like, of course they, they're aware of it. They're, you know, trying. And I, I said in my post, I said, can somebody show me an example of somebody who had a particularly weak body part that became a relative strong body part. And some people are like, Oh, Jeff Alberts is a great example. And I said, look, like, I like Jeff a lot, but I don't, my opinion was that it wasn't like you clearly improved your calves. I didn't think that they went from a relative weak point to a relative strong point, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know if you agree with me on that or not. Cause you said, you said something like it wasn't always that way. Um, but I, we can talk about that specifically, but also just weak points in general. Do you guys have things like where you say, okay, we're going to allocate more volume to that and actually actively take it away from a strong point. Or do you guys have specific protocols for that when you say a bodybuilder has an imbalance? Yeah, we do that. But I think what's super important is to identify if it's actually a weak point, the video that you, sh that you put on like, yeah, that was a weak point, yeah. right? That's pretty clear. It's a weak point. But then yeah. the question becomes why is it genetics? Is it the training? Is it the combination of the two? Um, and oftentimes like just my experience with, with calves, like when I, cause I always, when I set people up, like meeting them for the first time, we go through their training. So I'm not one of those coaches that just gives a template. It's like, I'm asking questions like, what are you doing now? And then I die, I dissect it. Mm -hmm. And of course I go, do you train calves? And I would say probably, I would, I probably should start taking tallies on this, Yeah. but if I had to estimate, it's probably 60, 70% they do. And it's like a 30 or 40 that don't. And then from the 30 or 40% that don't, you kind of look at the calves like, okay, that's probably why it's a week or they're very inconsistent with it. Yeah. That's why. So it's, it's not, it's not that like, Hey, my calves were like terrible. And then all of a sudden they got big. It's just yeah. the fact, like what I'm trying to point out is I train calves and I train calves consistently with right. intent it's always been an equal part of my, my process. Right. And I think the biggest nuances with my calf training that I changed was going from that. I'm going to do a bunny. I'm going to be a bunny rabbit and do mm -hmm. a bunch of sets and do a high reps to actually go on. No, let me go a little more full range of motion, you know, you know, pause a little bit more and actually try to increase strength. Yeah. So when you go from like doing standing calf raises with like maybe 200 pounds with, like not the best quality reps for let's say 10. And then I get on the Smith machine like years later and I'm doing 550 pounds for reps. Mm -hmm. What do you think your calves are going to do? They're going right. to, you're going to see progress. Like individual, you know, progress is going to vary. Like maybe someone else doesn't get as much gains, but it's hard for me to fathom that 
if someone actually puts some intention and they're consistent, whether it's calves or biceps or back or whatever, you're going to progress, whether it's 1%, 10%, 50%, if you're putting intention in and you're consistent with it and you get all your big rocks in place. Yeah. Yeah. I think, and again, I, I, I told this to Eric and we said, it's a specifically Dave's calf problem where I don't know if you watched the episode, but, um, I, I would, I like to experiment a lot at this point, just cause it's interesting to see what happens. So I'll do like unilateral experiments. So oh, yeah, last, I, yeah, I heard yeah, that. yeah, the, go ahead yeah, and repeat so it though. The yeah. last two years, um, I've not trained my left calf at all. And it's exactly the same size as my right calf. So they're both like 15 inches on the dot, like exactly. And that, that even surprises me. Like, I, I don't say that to tell people it makes no difference. Like, I do think I'm probably an outlier there. And you could argue, hey, I do cardio. I do sprints twice a week. Maybe that's just enough to, to maintain it. You know, I, I do, yeah. you know, I obviously train my legs otherwise. So they're a stabilizer. They can help with leg curls. Like, it might just, I'm not saying if I just literally stopped training lower body and stopped doing cardio, they wouldn't shrink. It might just be that they got to where they are and now it's less to maintain, but, but it is interesting. Like what was the measurements before that? Was it, were both equal? Both 15th? Correct. Man, that's pretty, that's interesting that you have like exact same measurements on both limbs like that. Yeah. Because my arms are half an inch difference and I've always been half an inch. Yeah. I'm saying like one side to the next, I, I, you know, very quarter to half inch side to side. Yeah. But, um, and then thighs, I did a similar experiment with thighs where I dropped pressing volume, uh, significantly. Actually, I almost did almost no pressing volume, but I still did all the isolations for my left and then right kept, you know, whatever. And within six months I had lost half an inch on my thigh. So that's why we joke. It's like a Dave's calf problem, but it's not, I'm not saying this apply to everybody or certainly every muscle group, but just for calves. But yeah, I, I think, I think I just put out a video that I think unilateral training can be an interesting way to experiment with things. If you want to say, Hey, would I respond to high volume? Take one arm, add five sets, do that for six months. And, and you kind of have this self-controlled experiment of if it works for you. What's interesting too, is like the, on the calves, I kind of wonder if it was, cause you say you're sprinting, right? So I do um, either, I do some form of intervals twice a week. Yeah. I kind of wonder if that maybe had a lot to do with it of maintaining that size. Could be. Could be. And, and yeah. you see that with some runners and cyclists who have tremendous calves, they don't do a and single then, half race. I mean, you're but... using your quads when you sprint, but I mean, I kind of wonder if your calves are like more dominant there. I don't know. I'm could not be. the, I'm not the yeah. athletic trainer. So I have right, no idea, right. but yeah, I mean, it, it could certainly be a factor. Um, and you know, this is only, usually I'll do when I say sprints, I mean like even like bike sprints. So um, mm, and it's only, there, yeah. right, right. And it's only six intervals of like 30 seconds. So it, this isn't like a tremendous amount of, of work, yeah. but I'm just saying it could be, that um, could be an interesting experiment though. I mean, if you're willing to look like you have one small arm. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it could be an interesting experiment, you know? Cause I mean, um, it'll catch up eventually. Like I'm saying this would be, you know, I wouldn't tell like a beginner to do this, but if no, you're no, just no. trying to yeah. you know, manipulate variables and see, but I would think it would be very important of how you take those measurements, like, you yeah. know, making sure you're taking it, you know, maybe it's early in the morning, you're on an empty stomach, no fluids or whatever. So, cause yeah. obviously your measurements can change depending on glycogen levels and all that type of thing. Um, right. Right. Cause and off I, season, you know, oh yeah, my arm's 18 inches. You right. Know? Right. Lean down. You're like, oops, it's a little over 17 now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I make that point too. Same thing with the video with Steve Hall. It's like, I do realize that there's, you know, a human error there. 
I've taken these measurements literally thousands of times. So I know I'm, I'm very consistent. Right. But for some people, you know, if you just take a random tape measure and do it, I mean, you could be totally off with where you're Yeah, it could be like half measure. inch from like just within 30 seconds, you know. Yeah, depending. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you know what yours are as far as arm measurements when you compete, like when you're really lean? I haven't measured my arms in quite some time. I think the last time I measured them was when Encima was kind of like trying to figure out the, uh, I forget what it was for like the genetic factor of like how much size you can get. Oh, I don't know if yeah. I saw that. Yeah, that's like a few years back. Um, they were 18, but that was like off season. I think they yeah. were like 18, 18 and an eighth, somewhere in there. Wow. Um, prep, I have no idea. I would say it's probably closer to 17, 17 and a quarter because, you know, yeah. decent amount of body fat's coming off around the arms. That's big though, man. I mean, people underestimate how, like, because like leanness is obviously a factor. Like my arms have been 17 and a half inches, but I was doughy, you know? And, and even when I'm, like what I would call beach lean, they're closer to 16 and a half. So like if, if you have a 16 and a half, 17 inch arm, that's like peeled. I mean, that's a huge arm. You know, I think people, they for natural just, bodybuilding. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty big. Yeah. For yeah. naturals. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Doug Miller is another animal, but um, yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> I think yeah, for me, arms is like genetically kind of like that stronger area. And I, like, I remember for years, I would just do like two sets a week. Really? Like in my twenties. Yeah. Just two sets to failure, like the Doring Ace Mincer. And mm -hmm. it was always like a standout body part as far as like my arms. Yeah. And then just genetically, it just doesn't take a lot for me to kind of maintain that there. Right. Back has been the more of the trouble area for me over the years. And that wasn't anything to do with uh, the volume. I think it was just quality. Like I just didn't know how to train and connect my lats. So um, I, I do hear that more and more with back and that was like when i made one of my videos i said like i very rarely seen as i mentioned a relative weak body part become a relative strong body part but i said with one exception being i do see some pretty dramatic transformations with back it does seem like that's an area and because yeah. there's so many muscles involved it seems like that's an area where i've seen people go from like oh, okay you're that's a pretty weak point it's like damn like that's pretty impressive because if you think about like i call it like when every time i do an exercise my first priority is stability. Hmm. So when you think about like chest, like you're on a flat bench, you know, it's hard to screw things up too bad. You know, mm -hmm. you're probably still going to get some pec activation, you know, but on the back, not very stable, especially if you're doing bent over rows. Like yeah. for years I did bent over rows and it was more of the ego thing. Like mm -hmm. I'm trying to move as much weight as I can. And all of a sudden it looks like an upright row instead. Right. So I think just from a stability standpoint, I learned how to just find pick exercises that were a little more catered to, to that, like chest supported stuff and things yeah. of that nature. So I don't go as, as off the path. So that yeah. was been the big, so it was a weak body part for years for me. Like got on stage for like 10 years. And, and that was kind of the critique I always got was like, your back is weak. Hmm. I don't think my back was weak. I think what was weak was just my approach to back training. Right, right, right. So once I improved that, then all of a sudden, 2011, 2014, everybody's like, damn, your back's pretty, that's, you know, in 2014, it's probably like the big reason why I did so well is like posterior chain was just like vastly improved. I don't think it was because I was weak. It was more so like, oh, I just learned how to, you know, train a little bit better. Were there completely new exercises you went to, or was it like a, a difference in focus what do you think was like the big thing there so yeah the big changes if i can recall so that was like 2009 
and then 2010, 11, 12 is where I kind of changed up some things. So instead of doing like free weight bent over rowing, um, I just started rowing off the rack. And this is something that Eric taught me it was like, Hey, let's just do a rack row. Just put the safety arms on a rack. There's like a reset. Below, as we need yeah, rep. yeah. Reset each rep. That way you can, you know, take the burden off your lower back, take the burden off your legs. Um, you know, better, better, you know, moment or you're killing momentum rather. So your form improves. So I just started using my back properly, you know, yeah. from that. So that was a big change there. Um, started doing more seated cable rowing, uh, something I really wasn't doing in the past. Mm -hmm. um, what else was I doing? That was kind of the two major exercises I was doing for a long period of time. Now I invested in a nice uh, row machine. Okay. Uh, so, but I mean, as far as pull downs, just learning how to connect better, you know, not rounding over so much and using shoulders and arms and things yeah. like that. You don't really do um, pull-ups, right? I don't think I've seen you do many pull-ups. No, I've never really been a big fan of it. Um, mm. I just like, for me, it's like, it just takes so much energy to try to stabilize myself. Yeah. Like I'm noticing I'm like putting more energy into slowing my body momentum down the swinging. Yeah. And I'm like, well, if I just sit down on a damn cable machine, again, right. the stability's a little superior for me. Yeah. And I can connect better. There's, I don't have to put as much focus and energy on the stability or the, yeah, the stability factor. Yeah. I know Alberto has, I guess within the last year or two, he's been training with Cassim a little bit, taking uh, some tips from there. It seems like he's feeling like it's made a big difference for him. I haven't seen the rest of you guys talk about it. Is it something you're just kind of like, okay, he does his own thing there or are you guys taking anything from it? I don't want to say anything because we really haven't had a conversation about his progress. <laughs> okay. um, I mean, I have my thoughts, so I don't want to like, I might say something that he may not agree with just to kind of throw that out there. Okay. But uh, I think some of that, I mean, yeah, you could say that some of that probably has a, a big part of it, but also again, it's nothing's ever just a single thing. So when right. I kind of look at his history from the outside, like when I first met him and all that, you know, of course he was really lean, even mm -hmm. off season, he was fairly lean and never let his body weight kind of trickle up past a certain point. And I remember back in the day, I'm like, dude, just gain another 10 pounds and just train. Yeah. So, I mean, he's had an extended off season, no mini cuts and he's kept his body weight, like closer to the 190 the whole time. Mm. So I think that has a lot to do with it. I think too, he's, he's wiser and he's more patient with the dieting process as well. Okay. I think he's retaining more on this time around because his mm. approach and setups are probably superior. And then you throw in a little bit of training tweaks here and there. I mean, I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a nice little approach and recipe. So he's got the, he's got the big picture, the big rocks yeah. in place. Right. And then, but he's got these little things that, you know, are probably helping out as well. All right. So we'll get a little discourse between you and Alberto on, on what the big reason is there. <laughs> uh, I mean, he may agree with me, you know, he might yeah. say, yeah, Jeff hit the nail on the head or he might say, well, it might be something else, um, but I'm okay with that because that's how we learn. Right. Yeah. Well, I've, I've always been a big fan of kind of pushing the weight up, not to the point. I mean, I know he used to be like 240 or something like that at one point, like, yeah, that not a beginner period. I don't know how many years in he was at that point, but obviously, he got up to like 250, 250. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, he was, which I, I know that many in the natural bodybuilding scene maybe disagree with this, but to me, I, I almost feel like you're doing a disservice to yourself if you don't have at least one, if not a few off seasons where you really push the boundaries on weight, not necessarily 25% body fat, 
But yeah. I mean, even look at like with Steve Hall, like, yeah, he took a long time with his offseason. But one of the biggest things is he allowed himself to get to a right. significantly higher body right. weight than he'd ever done before. That, so, so I think like, again, Steve can probably correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, if you go back to that time period of like the information that was kind of popular at the time, mm-hmm. it was keeping body weight in the off season a little more on the leaner side Yeah. versus now it's kind of like, you can see like the moment, the shift, mm-hmm. like now, now there's people more willing to go heavier. Yeah. So I think some like the big, again, the big rocks, it's almost like you think it from a supply and demand perspective it's almost like okay yeah you're you got some body fat on you but if you just let a little more accrue you got more available energy there your body's going to be probably a little more resilient more willing to to push plus you have more food coming in Mm -hmm. to support that heavier weight so from a training environment i mean you're well fueled and the recovery is going to be better you know more likely you know so that's i think what we're seeing too is like i think they're the big rocks are probably a little bit more in order. And then you throw in the little variables, the education that had gotten over the years. It's like, mm-hmm. they're putting all this together. And that's why you're seeing like a lot of nice progress there. Yeah. What is the heaviest you've gone up to? Uh, purse, uh, like, um, yeah. on purpose or on accident. The heaviest I've ever been in my life was around two thirteen. Okay. That's and it wasn't, it wasn't, heavy on purpose yeah just a mess yeah probably like on purpose where i'm like okay i'm very on top of my off season like i'm really good at 190 195 okay so i don't know any i don't see any differences when i train around 190 195 versus 200 210 to me when i'm too you did bulk up to like 205 regularly no a non-accident oh okay (laughs) so the point is though is that i'm saying is like at 190, 195 or 205, 210, 200, I don't okay. see any differences like energy wise, performance wise. Mm-hmm. What I do notice is that I'm out of breath <laughs> when yeah, I'm heavier yeah. and I don't feel as good. So I think that there's like with anything, there's a sweet spot for people. Yeah. Um, but That's I think in true. general, I think you're right though. I think uh, like allowing yourself to have like that one or, or two bulking phases where it's like you, you're, maybe a little uncomfortable with how yeah. things look. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do think it's important. And again, not like as an excuse to get sloppy, like take your time to do it. Uh, but I think if you don't at least try it, like you mentioned recently, you had like that kind of last hurrah, like see if you could, you know, push it. And I kind of had that after like 13, to, eh, I was probably actually 15 years in. And I was like, you know what? Like I was doing like a once yearly bulk cut, bulk cut. And I said, let me just see what happens. And I went, so the heaviest I had been up to that point was maybe 200. I was like, all right, I went up to 220, but I did it over two years. And I just mm-hmm. wanted to put the time in. And just because I, I wanted to make sure that I turned over every rock, right? And, and I think I would have always kind of wondered if I didn't do that, what could have happened, you know? And in Steve's case, right. it was like four years between competitions or something. Yeah. So then, so again, like that's four years, right? Yeah. Of like not really getting himself to extremely lean levels. Like he's, of course there's many cuts. I'm sure he's ran, but yeah. it's not like he's taking his body fat way down there. Where all of a sudden it's like, you might be a little more susceptible, susceptible to tissue loss. Right. So that's another aspect of this, right? Like, okay, yeah, get yourself up, bulk it up, try to put some size on, but you better be very strategic on the way back down. Well, I know Otherwise, that was a big, big way that you progressed. Cause I know you had that period from like, I think it was from one season to the next where your stage weight went up. 
I don't know if it was 10 pounds, but it was something like that. Yeah, it was, it was 10 pounds. And even that shocked me. I was like, Whoa, yeah, <laughs> so, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. And of course at first you're, you're like, well, maybe it was the off season, but then I realized like, nah, it's not, it's like, not all of a sudden you're going to gain that much muscle after right. 20, 25 years worth of training. Yeah. So yeah, I kind of realized like, oh, it's actually the approach on the way down. That's that's so I think that's just as important, if not more important, if you're especially if you're a competitor. Yeah, that was I, I think I told you this before, but that was my first introduction to you was maybe 2013, 12, something like that. And this guy was telling me how you had uh, improved by 10 pounds in one season. And I was like, dude, he's obviously not natural. Like nobody does that yeah. after that many years. Yeah. You can't gain 10 pounds. But then when I realized it was from a better dieting and a retention of muscle mass, and I was like, okay, that, that makes, that makes sense. sense. Yeah. Yeah. So again, context is important when you're absorbing yeah. information online. Right. That's, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's been, so that's kind of my, my thinking now, like on the way down with this prep, it's like, I'm, I'm trying to pace it because the mistake I made in 2019 was that. I kind of rushed a little bit to try to hit us hit the first show because I wanted to do the mayhem. So Eric and I, we were kind of pushing pretty hard. Um, but then after that, instead of uh, kind of pulling back a little bit, it was still go, go, go. Cause I was doing one show right after the next. And by yeah. the time I got to worlds, it was like, I got to a certain level of leanness and then I was like trying to push more. So I got blinded, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of us get blinded. We get so focused on trying to get shredded that kind of lose sight of like, okay, I need to hold on to muscle too. So by the right. time I got the world, that was like my worst physique. I was How much flat. Did you uh, it's like roughly this, it was interesting. I weighed roughly the same as I always do. It was about yeah. 170, 169, 171, somewhere in there. Okay. But my body just looked flat. I looked like frail in a sense. I mean, of course, you know, there's muscle and all that, but I mean, from a competitive standpoint, like yeah. a healthy bodybuilder shredded, nah, it was more frail looking. Interesting. And it's I was, interesting I was like, tired. Yeah. But you don't see that. Like at the time I didn't see it. It's hard to be subjected with yourself. Right. Right. You know, Cause you want that progress you're pushing. But yeah. then now in hindsight, I'm like, ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I just, that diet was probably two or three months too long. Right. Yeah. yeah. So your off season is really only about. 20 maybe 25 pounds heavier than your competition weight right yeah yeah usually well i mean i usually venture closer to 200 because i like to eat i like life yeah sure yeah sure. yeah so and then when i take it off it's almost like i'm not uh it's more like i said it's more lifestyle right so it's like monday through friday i'm kind of doing the bodybuilding thing the weekends i'm like okay let's do the human thing right and now again, going back to this top of the show, I'm like, I committed to a guest posing. So now it's like six low days, one high day yeah, and perfect. make the high day really, really on top, like strategic, be, you know, don't get too loose with it. Mm, okay. Yeah. What are the low days like calorie wise for you? Uh, they range in 18 to 1900 calories. So that counts days, about 10,000 know, high days. Now that I'm going to be on top of it, probably, you know, closer to 2,800, 3,000, somewhere okay. in there. That's what I would guess. Yeah. So yeah, those, those high days can be harder sometimes because it's hard to hold back once you, you're like, you know, when you're on, you're on as far as the low days. And then when the high days come, it's almost like, oh, like you can convince yourself, this is a refeed. I need the carbs. Right. And so you still got to be, you know, you still got to be on it. So personally, my tendencies is that if I'm far away from a show, then I'm like, then it gives me like, uh, like a pass to eat more. Oh, I can, I can make up for it. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. So that's why I said, once I committed, it's like, okay, I commit, I got 10 weeks. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. 
if I do it, then of course the, the result of that is going to be me soft on stage and everybody going, why is this guy the guest poser? (laughs) Right. Good motivation. (laughs) Yeah. I don't want to be that guy. So. All right. Well, man, we're going on an hour. Thank you for taking the time, especially at 6 a.m. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And it's one of those things where like, you know, there's things I disagree with everybody on, right? But when I when I hear you talk about your journey, it's motivating because at 18 years in, I do feel like, what is there left to do? And when I hear that you'll still have these periods of, you know, fire, excitement or, or purpose to it, it, it helps the younger, but still advanced in years as far as lifting. It, it helps me you know, along the way. So I think we appreciate people like you. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome. And think about this, Dave, like if you stop training now, cause you're bored altogether, you just stop and you go do something else. You might find joy and excitement in something else, but you might look in the mirror and go, man, I wish I was training maybe two or three days a week to maintain that. Right. Yeah. I wouldn't allow, I, I just, I couldn't mentally deal with not training. So. so just appreciate the fact that your 18 years has developed a really good physique and you should be happy that you have that and just keep it up because that's man. where the enjoyment is at is, is the work and the result of it. For sure. For sure. All right, I'm man. Go well, back to luck. drinking my coffee. Yeah. yeah. With the rest of prep and everything. I'm sure we'll talk. Thanks for having me.